Are you fascinated with the paranormal? Do you love good stories? Ones that are shrouded in mystery, intrigue? Stories that evoke that spine-chilling sensation we hate to love? Stories that make us wonder, could that really be true? If so, Unearthly Paranormal Stories is for you. Join me, Nicole, every other Friday for a new story based on actual paranormal experiences. For more information, check out our website at www.unearthlypodcast.com. Hi, everybody, and welcome to episode 18 of the Haunted Visions podcast. I'm Brandy, and with me, as always, is my good friend, Rachel. Hey, everybody. How's it going? And we we have to apologize. I know it's been a minute since we put something out. People have been sick, and children have been sick. It's just been crazy with flu and everything else. But we're back. Um, we are recording in a different location today, so I know it's going to sound a little different, and we apologize. We're trying to get everything up and running the way it's supposed to be. But in the meantime, we wanted to bring you a really wonderful story about um, a building that's actually not very far from here, uh, Cincinnati Music Hall. I love that place. I know you do. And if um, if any of you have been to Cincinnati or are coming to Cincinnati, uh, Music Hall actually is a wonderful place to visit. They've just redone the whole thing. It's absolutely gorgeous. And um, they do uh, they do ghost tours through there, and they do all kinds of stuff, and they they you know, they put on concerts and all kinds of things. It's a beautiful building, um, architecturally and everything else. Um, but we're we're mainly focusing on today. We're going to focus uh, a lot on the uh, the mythology and the lore that surrounds the building and the parcel of land that it sits on. Mm-hmm. Um, I know Rachel has taken uh, ghost tours through it. Mm-hmm. And she's going to talk a little bit about that, uh, but I want to talk more about the history of the building a little bit. Um, so it's located actually in the heart of Cincinnati, uh, it's at, right down the road from us. Yeah. Uh, it sits uh, in a beautiful and towering, it's beautiful, it's towering, it's got a dark red brick facade uh, and tall, narrow windows, and it almost gives onlookers a sense of wonder and curiosity. This spectacular building has been around since May of 1878, so it's been here for a minute. It's been here for a hot minute. Yeah. (laughs) Uh, And it's entertained some of the most famous socialites and celebrities throughout history. Uh, Many famous composers, composers and conductors have had the honor and the pleasure of leading the Cincinnati Symphony Orchestra and the Cincinnati Pops within the confines of the main hall. Magnificent chandeliers adorn its great halls and ballrooms, and everywhere you turn, you'll be amazed by the sheer history and beauty of this enchanting concert hall. And I will say, I saw on the news um, when they did the whole rehab, uh, because it was crumbling, it was really bad. It's an old building. Uh, When they rehabbed it, they tried to keep a lot of the original structure. They tried to keep a lot of the original windows and the personality of the building. So um, none of that, actually, that I could see had, had changed very much. But, you know, like I said, it's a, it's a beautiful, beautiful place. Uh, but if you knew what roamed the dark corridors and grand state staircases at night, it would send shivers down your spine. What's buried beneath Music Hall and what ghastly discoveries were found during its recent renovations uh, will leave you both horrified and intrigued. 
So sit back, dim the lights, and let us thrill you with the chilling history of one of Cincinnati's iconic gems. And I will say, to all my people who like ghost hunter shows and whatnot, um, I believe it was ghost hunters that came a couple years ago. I want to say like 2010 or 2011, maybe something like that, 2012. So kind of recent. They... um, we're talking with the director who was showing them around to get their equipment set up and so they could try to find stuff. And the director had told them about how every now and then when they're repairing things in the basement, parts of the basement before they renovated it was still old dirt floor. And they would find pieces of human skulls and bones and things like that. And Brandy will tell you a little bit about why they keep finding skeletons in the basement. Yeah, if I'm a contractor, you just, you're not paying me enough to do some kind no. of crazy archaeological dig underneath there. <laughs> or deal with human bones. but mm-hmm. So Music Hall sits on Elm Street, directly across the street from Washington Park. Uh, many outdoor concerts, festivals, and picnics are held at the park. It's a beautiful park. They've redone that whole thing, too. It's gorgeous. Uh, we mention the park because it plays a twisted role in this story. Uh, a parking garage sits below Washington Park, and during its excavation, many coffins containing bodies of long-lost souls of the cholera outbreak of 1849 were found, and they had to be moved. Uh, Interesting fun fact, Mm -hmm. some of the larger tombstones that were found are now sitting in the courtyard at the park, so so the kids can play on them. Right. So um, I did take one of those ghost tours that I took was through American Legacy Tours, and if anyone ever stops through Cincinnati or the the over-the-Rhine area, I definitely recommend their tours. They're fairly inexpensive. Um, It's... It's creepy, but it's still a family experience. You can still take your kids on there. They don't really talk about anything too dark and gruesome. Um, But these three or four stones you can actually see in the courtyard. And they're just like these, you know, unassuming stones. You wouldn't even be able to tell that they're headstones until you get up close and you read the faded etched words. And you can obviously see there's dates on there um, from when people were born and when they died. It's where it's located too is underneath some really towering trees and it's really pretty and it's actually really peaceful unless there's like a festival or something going on not as peaceful right right so uh let's see uh uh, i'm sorry all right while some of the deceased had families that could afford a proper burial and a casket many of the poorer families of cincinnati could not um they couldn't really afford to bury them at all so uh, although cholera reached cincinnati in 1832, by way of the Ohio River, the most terrible outbreak occurred in 1849 and killed an estimated 8,000 people. Grave diggers would go around knocking on doors and ringing bells and yelling, bring out your dead. So there's a nice little knock at the door. Right. Uh, they would pile the bodies of the dead on long wooden carts and take them over the canal to the patch of land Music Hall now rests on and dump the bodies into a giant open grave called Potter's Field. Uh, Potter's Fields, as you guys know, probably are are mass graves dug to get rid of bodies of the poor who can't afford to even get a basic wooden casket. Yeah, and a a lot of times when they thought, you know, disease back then, they didn't really realize that actually burying all the bodies together is still probably not good because it's still harboring all that disease and it's not really, when you're burying it right there still in the city, you're not really giving a chance for the disease to go away. So it just kept spreading and spreading and spreading. Yeah, some bright minds. All right, so in some cases, um, we even had some entire communities wiped out within a matter of days, um, leading, leaving, leaving hundreds of bodies to be put to rest within the shallow potter's field. 
the stagnant water uh, that sat in the canals that lined the streets and properties of over the Rhine uh, only allowed the disease to keep festering and spreading. And as a side note, it should be mentioned that one of Cincinnati's many nicknames is Porkopolis because its main export during that time was pork. Uh, before sanitation became a factor within the city, dead and bloated pig carcasses would sometimes be floating uh, within the canals. Right, and actually right in front of the area Music Hall sits on, um, there used to be a canal, which is now all cobbled over with old-fashioned cobblestone and everything else. But, yeah, could you imagine that? Sitting in Washington Park and then just no. seeing a bunch of pig... People would literally step on the pig carcass, carcasses if it was like the canals were drying up in the summertime. They would walk across the pig carcass, carcasses to get across the canal instead of going over the bridge. Yeah, that sounds delightful. That's disgusting. <laughs> Uh, so it wasn't a pretty sight, and it just goes to show why cholera was running rampant in Cincinnati, uh, because, you know, people were drinking, bathing, and all that kind of stuff out of that water, because, of Ugh. course, there were no water treatment facilities to, to yeah. deal with that kind of stuff. Uh, so I'm going to let, that's a little bit about, um, a little bit about the, the plot of land that it sits on. I'm going to let Rachel tell you a little more, because she has taken the tour and she has got a lot of really cool insightful information so Rachel tell me about that okay so when I took the tour I took one a couple years ago and then I also took one again this past October there was a small little convention of people for another podcast actually the one that Brainy's a part of too um, history dweebs and we actually had something called DweebCon. it was the first annual one here in Cincinnati and a lot of really cool people came out and some of us amazing amazing people they're into paranormal history and stuff like I am too. So I decided why not? Like a couple of us went on the tour and we had a really good time and learned a lot of crazy stuff about Cincinnati that a lot of people wouldn't know exists. So when the tour started, it kind of talked about the over the Rhine area. That's That was the focal point of the history. When we walked by Music Hall, our tour guide began to tell us that originally before Music Hall was built, before all that land was taken over, it actually, um, besides being a potter's field, was a home of a um, an insane asylum, basically. Wow. That and makes sense. yeah, so and also it was the home of um, a, a school, like an orphanage, basically, um, only for a few years. But of course, the ch- children were abused at the time, and um, kids were not loved or taken care of like they should have been. And um, so one of the ghosts that's actually outside the building where there was an area that there used to be like a very small fenced-in playground is said to be a little girl about um, anywhere between six and nine years old. And for whatever reason, she gravitates towards women. And a lot of time women will just in a, you know, broad daylight be walking down near music hall or in the evening when there's going to be, you know, a ballet or um, Cincinnati Pops performance and a lady will be walking by the tree and she'll feel like a tug on her dress or a tap on her shoulder. And a lot of the historians think that it was, it is a child. Some mediums, some psychic mediums have been through there too. And they diff- they see a blonde little girl and they think the reason that she gravitates towards women is her mother died and um, she was sent off to this little orphanage in this school for kids. And she just was devastated and desperately looking for more um, motherly attention. So um, it... I didn't feel anything, obviously, on the tour, but but needless to say, um, it made a lot of people pretty sad when we were on the tour, thinking that there's this little girl's soul that's lost looking for her mom. So um, besides that, of course, we said that there was the potter's field, 
and that music hall was buried on top of. So the lunatic asylum, which I guess back in the day, I'm getting um, what I'm about to tell you information from hauntedhouses.com that focuses on things on Cincinnati as well. Um, they built this place, which the locals did call the the um, the pest house. Because, you know, back then people didn't understand people with special needs or that had mental illness. So they just thought the cure was to lock them away from all of society. Um, And so it was already a cemetery underneath there. And then they built that on top of it. So obviously people back then, obviously, you know, when they're the mentally ill, when they would die, usually their family washed their hands of them or people just disowned them or they had mental illness and they didn't even have any family whatsoever to take care of them. So when they died, they were buried on the property too. So now you have more and more restless spirits, more and more bones and everything else that are buried there that haven't been, I'm sure, you know, they didn't get their last rites or anything like that. I mean, they were, they were just dumped like nothing. So besides that, that kind of leads me into one of the stories that the tour guide told us. And she's also a historian. And she told us there used to be a security guard that worked there. And he was only there for a couple days. And he started seeing some really weird stuff. And he had to patrol all these different uh, levels. Well, he was on the third floor, I believe. And um, it was the, I want to say the East Wing. And I guess that was like there were old offices there and, you know, some basically storage, but no one really went up there because it was creepy and it was before they renovated, it was kind of falling apart. So they had an elevator that sometimes would go up and sometimes wouldn't go up. It just depended on whatever the mood of the building was, I guess. So this guy has to go patrol at night and um, he trades out shifts with this other guard and he goes upstairs and he's touring the facility and he gets this just really creepy feeling. And he turns around and he sees this man on the other end of the hall with um, dark eyes. He couldn't even see his eyes. They just looked like ink blots on this man's face. And he had this crazy, long, um, gray, scraggly hair. And he noticed that he's in this really old-timey looking hospital gown. And the man, he knows the man had feet. He could see him. But when the man was walking around, he couldn't hear any, you know, pitter-patter of feet hitting the the marble. He didn't understand why he couldn't hear the man. Do we know when, so, this, when this was? This was, this was in the late 80s. Okay, go ahead. Late 80s. So um, he's walking around, and, you know, they don't have a cell phone. They have walkie-talkies, but he didn't have a cell phone or anything like that. He sees this man, and he's calling out to him, and this man turns at him, and he says his, he, his jaw drops. The man, he can't see the man's eyes, and he starts running at him, wailing, just screaming his head off, saying words that, you know, mumbling, basically. Saying unintelligible mumble-jumbo. Nope. Yeah. <laughs> Understand that. And that's when you go in there and you sage the hell out of it. But right. So he's chasing the security guard, and the security guard's hitting, running, you know, and he's a heavier set man, and he's running out of breath to the edge of the hallway. He's hitting the elevator button. He can't get downstairs. The next thing he knows, he turns and sees this man in his face. He could smell his breath, he said, while he was screaming at him. It was rotten. His teeth were rotten. Just It was just... He looked like a lunatic. He looked like a man that had been locked up in a dark cellar. And um, that's all he remembers. And then the next thing he remembers, he was um, his wife was screaming at him in the morning to get up, um, told him that she was going to leave him if he ever came home that drunk ever again. And this man swore to this day that he does not drink. He was never a drinker. 
Well, he came home with like this huge thing of whiskey and just started doing shots and was belligerent and started cussing at his wife and calling her a bitch and all this mm-hmm. stuff. And his wife was just blown away. And she said that um, he got violent and started tossing things around the house, around their little apartment, and eventually went and I guess was so drunk, passed out in their bedroom. And um, when he woke up the next morning, she said, yeah, and by the way, you just left your shift in the middle of the night. I don't even know what happened, but um, whatever whatever you did, whatever you said to the other night guard, they assume that you're not working there anymore because they called me and said that you were crazy and acting, talking all this trash, cussing at them, cursing at them, calling him every name under the, you know, under the sun. Ooh, he got possessed. He did. Yeah. Ooh. <laughs> so they were like, what? And on earth got into you. So he's embarrassed. He's devastated. He um, he wakes up and, you know, puts on his uniform and goes back to work. He's going to turn in his badge and his walkie-talkie and everything else, his radio. And he's talking to his boss and he tells him what happened and with tears in his eyes. And this is a grown man in his 40s. And um, they said, you know what? You're not the first person this has happened to and you probably won't be the last. So... You know, you can have your job back if you want it. It's okay. So he worked there for a couple more months, but he would not go back up to that third floor. And he's not the only person to see this guy. And occasionally people supposedly will see this figure of a man, shadowy face with long flowing raggedy, like raggedy Ann hair. Um, And they said that the face is so shadowy, you can't really tell the features of the face. But you can see him still in those really tall, narrow windows of that wing of the building. Something else that's really interesting is there's been reportedly a lady. Everyone sees a lady in white. Like, I feel like a lady in white is always reported everywhere, everywhere, right? Right. So, but um, there was a lady in white that supposedly haunts the the um, stairwell. And every now and then you can also see um, a lady in one of the private boxes. And when people look up, they're like, oh, you know, that those are really nice seats. And everyone's like, no, we didn't give tickets. Like tickets were not sold for that location. It'll just be a woman that goes and sits down oh, in the middle there. of, yeah, in the middle of a show. And or if people do get tickets for that box, they turn around and they see a woman or see sometimes a man and they look, they think, they sit there for a second and they see that their clothes look like they're from the 30s or the 40s. And then they, they turn around again and they're like, wait a second, because it takes them a minute to register. And they turn back around during the show and they're not there anymore. So it, it still looks like there might be spectators, you know. I want to stay the night there, Brandy. Nope. No? They don't come to my house. I don't go to theirs. Well. That's the rule. Right. So um, I'll go into some other things from... What I found on hauntedhouses.com, some other manifestations that were claimed by maintenance workers, volunteers, some audience group members and security guards, um, they report all these manifestations and different occurrences. They said that there's angry whispering from an unseen presence in the elevator. They feel like they're being watched by different presences. Sometimes I see shadowy figures. A lot of women will report when they use their women's restroom, they just feel that they're being watched. Nothing is ever seen, nothing touches them, but they feel like eyes are literally on the back of their neck or that someone is, you know, that feeling when someone's right behind you and you turn around and, you know, they're right there. There's never anybody like there. Kids, yeah. Right. <laughs> one of your kids following you around. But there will be times when. Um... Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. 
Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Different people, workers will be there at night when it's time to close the building or it's time to clean up after a show. You know, they'll buff the floors, everything else of that nature. And they'll just be walking, a woman will be walking the lobby and, you know, it's usually a female worker and she'll turn around and hear this most beautiful singing voice. And if you guys ever go to music hall, the main hall, the lobby, when you first walk in is gorgeous. There's chandeliers everywhere. The ceilings are very ornate and detailed. Marble floors when you walk in, it's just absolutely breathtaking. And she'll hear this woman's voice fading off, you know, through the ceiling, around, bouncing around the ceiling. Really great acoustics in there. And they hear this beautiful voice and they turn around thinking that they're going to see a woman somewhere in the room because though it's a really tall lobby, it's not that big of a lobby. And you'd think that you would hear, see or see somebody and there's nobody there. Absolutely nobody there. So sometimes people will hear like crazy laughter. They'll go in the music hall ballroom and sometimes there's men and women dancing around the room dressed in formal 1800s and 1900s period dress. When ghost hunters went there, I just remember being really creeped out. They didn't catch anything, like any apparitions like that dancing around. But so many workers there uh, um, came forward and so many other people that would run out that ballroom for banquets for companies or whatever the case might be. Sometimes they'll do really fancy, you know, fancy Christmas parties for larger companies. They'll go in there and they'll say, oh, you know, did you hire people like to dress up for our party? Nope. Nobody. They don't have any of their workers do that. And they all, everyone that works there always wears badges so you can tell that they work there. And these people are just spinning around, dancing in 1800s gowns. And sometimes a lot of um, the people in the orchestra say that during the performances, there are full-blown apparitions of men and women dressed in their finery of decades ago, and they will join the the performance. So, like, they're all... all, Right. I mean... If I were stuck in that building and I were dead, I'd probably hang out there too because imagine all the really cool people you could see. And, you know, I, I went there. I remember a long time ago I went with my dad and we saw the composer um, Marvin Hamlish there. I, I believe he created Breakfast at Tiffany's, the, all that music. It was really cool. We got a little box seat and spent way too much money just to feel fancy for a night. But I remember going there and just the feeling of the theater and the feeling of seeing, you know, those musicians, incredible talented composers and whatnot. I wouldn't mind staying there if I were dead. Yeah. You know? Catch a catch a ballet or two. Who doesn't love theater? Right. The theater. You have to say it all fancy. Oh, <laughs> so um a lot of people still say, you know, they believe the main reason that it's haunted is because there's so many people who were buried there who weren't given their last rites, who no one, you know, really mourned them mm-hmm. and they're still trapped there and they're stuck there and it's really sad. And whether they're watching shows or not or roaming the halls. I mean, it's got to be scary whether you were an orphan that passed away and you're still stuck there or someone who was suffering from, you know, mental illness or something like that and you're still stuck there. Like if I were that dude wandering the hallways, I'd probably be screaming my head off at people too. I'd probably be really pissed off. Well, that too, but I mean, he's probably pissed too. He has no idea what he's still doing there. 
he's like, damn, they had me locked up. And now I'm locked up here, stuck here. I can't go anywhere. So it's a very interesting building. There's a lot of creepy stuff that happens there. And um, as I'm sure a lot of you know, when a place is haunted and you go and you do all these renovations and you're changing it up, people will theorize that because you're kicking up everything and you're changing around the building. You're kicking up dust. Basically, you're making people mad because they're used to a wall being here or a door being here or windows there. And then you go and change the structure of the building and you're almost confusing them or putting, putting them out of the element out of their element especially if it's a like a residual haunting i've heard stories all the time about how people are like oh well we remodeled our house and we took down all these walls uh, or there's no doorway here anymore we boarded up the doorway but yet you'll still see apparitions of them opening a door or walking through what used to be a doorway because that's what they were used to it just kind of makes you wonder like are they stuck in a different plane or a different realm or how that all works out but um when they started renovating, I mean, for years, they keep finding bodies and bodies and bodies, sometimes not even complete skeletons. So that just goes to show you how when they're excavating everything, they'll find a skull from one body and, you know, a rib or two from somebody else completely different. So obviously these bodies were just thrown in sure. without any care at all. So that's well, kind of messed up. for all that? It's cholera outbreak. Right, right. Just tossing everybody in. So that's um, a little bit about Music Hall. And Brandy, is there anything that you want to add about Music Hall? No, but if you get an opportunity and you get to Cincinnati, it's a beautiful, beautiful facility. Um, even just, even if you just go by and look at it, it's a gorgeous building um, architecturally. It's beautiful. Uh, you can look at it and see it on uh, hauntedhouses.com. Mm-hmm. They have pictures of it up there. Or you can look up um, cincinnatimusichall.org. Or you can, or you can look at Music Hall. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. Um, so a little bit about it. So in 1878, Music Hall, which is has been referred to as the masterpiece of high Victorian Gothic revival architecture, creating truly glorious space for cultural events in Cincinnati. Over the years, it has been renovated and updated it to be four different areas of different needs for the community. The building's gable is 150 feet high. So there's several different auditoriums there, too. There's a Springer Auditorium. Um, got state-of-the-art acoustics, and it can seat up to 3,516 people in just that auditorium alone. So that's a lot of people. It's the home for the Cincinnati Symph- uh, Symphony and the Cincinnati Opera and the May Festival Choir. Side note, when I was going to um, – when I was enrolled for this leadership program at school, mm-hmm. we got to meet Louis Langre. Um, he is the director, the, the – um, the main the main guy for Cincinnati Symphony, which I thought was really, really cool. <laughs> so nice. that was cool to meet him. Fancy name dropper. He's he's amazing. Just watching him, he's like on fire from music and it's well, he's a conductor, but it, just listening to him and his experience and hear him talking and how he moved his family here from Europe, it just it was really cool. His story was really, really neat and he's a great man and I'm glad I got to meet him. So the music hall ballroom it's newly renovated. It's 20,000 square feet, and it can hold up to 1,300 people. It's the second largest room in the city for large receptions, fashion shows, conventions, class reunions, and gatherings over breakfast, lunch, and dinner. And I'm pretty sure that's the same ballroom where people say that they see people in 1800s clothing well, dancing. Sure. Yeah. So people will go there like have gigantic office Christmas parties, like I said, or wedding receptions, and they – We'll see people sometimes caterers see people, and there have been stories of caterers going there or people to decorate, and they don't come back. They won't. They refuse to finish the job because they're terrified. Also, there's the Corbett Tower. It's um, it's 
for events that are 300 people or less, um, usually it's more of an intimate setting in that they'll do um, wedding receptions for dinners and parties. It does have a stage and a dance floor, and it has kitchen and bar facilities, controlled sound and lighting. Nice. So that's fancy, too. And they also have the Critics Club, which is basically just for 50 people. And that's basically where you would take, you know, if you were a high roller, you would take all your people out to dinner, you know, if you're a great boss. If you're a baller. If you're a baller. I'm not a baller or a great boss, so. <laughs> you <yeah>. are. <laughs> I'm not, taking, I'm not taking people anywhere. Right. Well, okay. So we do have a, um, a ghost story that I would like to read for you guys. It was sent in to us by Kim. I'm not... Kim didn't give me permission to say her last name, so I'm not going to say it, but here we go. She says, hi, Rachel and Brandy. My name is Kim, and I have a few ghost stories for you. Growing up being Cambodian means my culture is rooted in strong animistic beliefs, so I grew up never really questioning whether or not spirits exist. Just part of her. That would be nice. If people just, if you just were able to believe how it is. So many people come to me. And tell me so many different things they believe, like anywhere from Buddhism to atheism to agnostic to, you know, we're going to be taken over by reptilians. I don't even know what I believe anymore. Yeah. (laughs) Do you believe in the reptilian force? (laughs) (laughs) No, there's a word for those, and they probably need to be at City Hall or Music Hall, but go ahead. (laughs) So Kim says, my encounters with the paranormal started when I was about six, right after my grandpa died. I never knew him in a time where he could talk or stand or live independently, so we never had much of a bond. However, one day after he had died, about a year later, and side note, he died in his room in my house, by the way, that I grew up in. I was sitting on the floor of my living room watching TV really close up because I was a kid, and that's fun, I guess, but terrible for your eyes. I'm just sitting there thinking how my mom used to yell at me when I was younger. Yeah, get back here. You're going to go blind. So as she as she says, as I'm watching TV, something draws me to look away, and I look down my hallway, and I see my grandpa walk out of his room. He makes eye contact with me, waves at me, then walks into my parents' room. I wasn't scared at all, so I go and say hi to him. When I went in my parents' room, though, he was not there. The next time I had an encounter with spirits or ghosts or whatever you'd like to call them, I was sitting in my living room with my family, and I heard a very distinct high-pitched laughter like that of a little girl. I asked my family if they had heard anything and told them I heard someone laugh, but no one else heard anything except for me. Then this started to happen very regularly during the summers when I was a kid. I would wake up in the middle of the night, probably around 2 or 3 a.m., and I would hear steady drumming. After it happened a handful of times, I asked my dad what it was, and he says he doesn't believe in spirits or ghosts. So he told me it was probably a high school marching band practicing. At two or three in the morning. Right, right. So she, hardcore. Hardcore practicing. you got to make it, man. But she says, um, which now she realizes is absolutely ridiculous because it was literally 3 a.m. And I don't know any bands who practice in the middle of the night like that. That would happen during hardcore summers. Hardcore bands. Hardcore. That makes me think of hardcore parkour. No. Parkour. Parkour. You don't do parkour? I do not. I couldn't even jump over a damn trash can if I tried. Nope. I'd fall flat on my face. For sure. And bust out a... My dentist would be busy. By the way, guys, I don't think I sound weird right now, but half my face is numb. She looks weird. (laughs) I look weird. Like, seriously, I look like I had bad Botox or something, like surgery gone wrong because half my face is numb. And I'm sitting here and Brandy's looking at me while we're recording and I'm pretty sure I drooled once or twice on myself. It's amazing. (laughs) So... 
Kim says that would happen all the time during the summers, and she doesn't know what it was, but she was the only one who heard it or at least acknowledged it. Now, she goes to say my last story is a fairly recent one. It happened when I was volunteering in Thailand and then traveled to Cambodia in the summer of 2016. I was in a hotel, and I was sharing a bed with one of my friends. It was a king-sized bed, and my dream, in my dream I felt someone pulling on my leg. I groggily wake up and still felt something touching me, and now it felt like something trying to pull off my blankets. So I opened my eyes, and standing right above me, next to my bed, was a woman dressed in all black who was probably in her 40s, and I immediately yelped like a chihuahua, and my friend woke up. So I looked at my friend, and then I looked back for the woman, and she was gone. I later called my mom and told her what happened and told her that I thought I had a night terror. My mom told me that the next time she called me that she had spoken to my aunt, who also grew up in Cambodia, and my aunt said that she wasn't, it wasn't a night terror and that instead the woman that I saw was a Cambodian people called the keeper of the hotel. Apparently, every hotel has one, and my mom told me that the keeper of the hotel was probably just excited to see me and wanted to play, especially because she knew that I had gone to Cambodia to pay respects to my ancestors who had passed away during the genocide. So those are my stories. I hope you like them. And I also want you to know that I binge listen to your podcast because it's rocks. Oh, thank you. I just said it's rocks. Well, I know. I would be Ignatius. <laughs> you don't even know how to respond to that, do you? No, I don't. Um, <laughs> no. Sorry. But I hope. Thank you, Kim. <laughs> now I don't want to stay at a hotel. I don't, oh, I yeah. Don't we that. have a lot of hotels we're staying at recently. Yeah, I don't want to deal with that. Yeah. Um, just in case, like a little recap, uh, just so you guys know, that first weekend in May, I believe. Yeah. May the 4th be with you. Side note from my, my Star Wars fans. Yeah. Um, <laughs> we are going to be in Nashville for CrimeCon. Um, we're not going to have a booth there because we're not really true crime. Right. Um, but if you guys want to say hi to us. We're going to be there partying. We will. We'll be there boot scoot boogie. Like nine. Yeah, I'm. I act like an old lady. Like I'm in bed by nine, sometimes eight thirty every night. It's ridiculous, but we can party like it's nineteen ninety nine, seventy two, whatever. Nineteen seventy two. So if you guys want to say hi, that'd be great. There's going to be some other awesome podcasters there as well. I think Arnie Gone's going to be there. I think yeah, a lot of people are. Yeah, there's going to be a lot of good stuff. Insight will be there. Um, I know, and that's why we drink. They're a really great podcast. They're paranormal. And they always read one paranormal side note, like kind of do a, similar to like the paranormal research side of things. And then they also talk about true crime at oh. the same time. It's just, it's pretty funny. They're great gals. So if you guys are going to be there, say hi to us, message us on Facebook, um, reach out to us, let us know if you're coming. It'd be great to see you. So anyway, that's our story. And we're sticking to it. So, if anybody wants, if anybody would like to uh, donate to keep us, you know, living the dream over here, you can donate at patreon.com backslash haunted visions. Uh, you can also reach out to us at haunted visions podcast at, is it at gmail? At gmail.com. At gmail.com. Uh, we also have a Twitter account and a Facebook page. Come join us on our Facebook page. We share lots of stories and, and, uh, all that kind of stuff there so that's all we've got for today on music hall we're going to be like she said first week in april we're going to or may excuse me first week in may we're going to be in nashville for crime con mm -hmm. and then in august we're going to be in new orleans for potter and love and we're going to sit on panels and we're gonna we're gonna have a booth and it's going to be yeah we're, we're going to be a big deal and we're, we're, <laughs> we're 
we'll have merchandise and stuff and stickers. I know we said in the past we need to get stickers for you guys, and we still do. And I'm looking at that right now. Please bear with us and have patience. We appreciate all your support and your help. Yeah, we suck pretty bad. So anyway, <laughs> so that's all we've got for today. And so from us, everybody sleep tight. Don't let the ghosties bite. <laughs>